0: Welcome to the Rethinking Leadership podcast series. I'm Jude Jennison, host of this podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I believe that leadership is about who we are being as much as what we're doing and that when we combine our brilliant minds with the emotional engagement of the heart, we can solve all of the world's problems. In this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of disruptive change and ask them how leaders can position themselves for the future of business. Find out what this week's leader has to say. Piers Tinknell is the MD of Atomic Smash, a creative design agency in Bristol, but they're no ordinary design agency. Piers talks about the need to adapt and see failure as part of the evolution of learning. He recognises that encouraging his team to learn... To innovate through trial and error is how the business can push boundaries and do great creative work through technology. Have a listen. Hi, Piers. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. No problem at all.
0: Oh, it's great to, great to speak to you. Um, I know like many businesses, since COVID-19 has, has hit, your, your whole team have had to divert suddenly to remote working. How have you found that process?
1: interesting yeah it's been um, some parts of it we've taken to quite quickly and quite easily Um, and then there's some parts of it which have been a lot more difficult than we'd anticipated Um, so it's been a mixed bag is probably how I would best best describe it there's definitely lots of benefits um, but it has come with some quite big challenges
0: so what, what have been the benefits first of all then
1: The benefits have mainly been around staff feedback for saying that their quality of life is going up. So not having to commute into the office. Um, People are really enjoying that from discussions Um, around being a bit more flexible in our working hours. So we've got some staff members who have quite young children. They asked it initially straight away if they could maybe be a bit more flexible in in their working time, and we said, yeah, that's absolutely no problem. Um, <clears throat> so they can take a couple of hours off at lunchtime to do childcare or go and pick the children up from nursery. That that side of things. So I'd say the benefits really have been more around people's quality of life than maybe obvious business benefits. I'm not. I wouldn't say that we are wildly more productive or we're making more money off the back of it but we from discussions with individuals they all feel that there are certain benefits from from working at home that that we wouldn't really have known about before.
0: And you so your your office is based in
1: Bristol isn't it? Yeah that's right yeah we're right by the train station so right in the centre.
0: Right and so was everybody commuting in every single day?
1: Yeah so we had a couple of people who lived in out in Western, somebody coming in from Yate. Um, so people either coming in on the train or cycling in. Nobody would drive in, uh, but we would have people commuting in. Yeah, every, every day.
0: Yeah. So do you think you would have you would have moved towards remote working if you hadn't had to?
1: I think we would have done eventually because I just feel like that is the way that the world is moving and that it's what people want. They they maybe not fully remote, but people want the flexibility um, mm. and to kind of work more, a bit more on their terms. And especially in our industry, website design and development mm. it's incredibly competitive for talent at the moment in Bristol, especially. So as an employer, um, we even need to make it as attractive as possible for people to come and work with us. And one way of doing that is flexible remote um, options, but also we are identifying that the, Talent pool within Bristol again is there is a is definitive. So we if we want to keep growing our business and expanding, we might need to look a bit further afield. So offering remote positions in the future is something that we had thought that we might have to do. And this is kind of just sped up the whole process.
0: That's interesting because what you know what I'm hearing from that then is that people don't need to relocate and businesses don't need to pay for people to relocate. That you can actually Mm. access a much wider talent pool not necessarily even in the same country
1: yeah totally yeah totally and I think it, especially I guess obviously totally depends depends on the um the industry but like taking ours for example yeah website design and development WordPress WooCommerce um it, it's always there's always been a bit of a um I'd say a kind of a gray area around using people who are um situated abroad or and there's some certain types of development houses that kind of get a bad reputation. I think outsourcing contracting that way is, is probably not a great way to go, but if you can find individuals who are living in different parts of the world and are looking to kind of join a remote team, then yeah, it's, um, it's definitely viable. The biggest WordPress business automatic who kind of run and own wordpress.com. They are like a fully remote team and they've got over a hundred maybe 150 people in their team
0: right interesting because you know what I'm hearing from that then is once you start broadening the talent pool you start to get cultural diversity and different ways of working and different ideas and you know for a for a creative company like yours I can see you know yes it comes that comes with its own challenges as well Um, and I know that from from my own personal experience but but actually that having access to more creativity and more cultural diversity could really shake up some of the designs that you come up with.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it would. And especially if you want to work with um, diverse clients, um, then it's good to have a diverse team that can support that for you. Um, Yeah, definitely. I think I can only, there's only real benefits from, having a bit more diversity amongst the team. And mm. and we've been trying to on on kind of internally, we've been trying to widen our diversity um, of the team. But in Bristol there's only a certain amount, um, again, of talent to to choose from. Um, so if we're not limiting ourselves geographically, then our ability to be more diverse and open as an employer it would be much easier to kind of hit those targets and to um, get to where we would like to be because it's it's beneficial for everyone.
0: Yeah. Do you think then that, I mean, without doubt, when you enter a pandemic and you come out the other side and, you know, who knows what, who knows what the other side looks like yet. But um, do you think that having something like that, like a major event is an opportunity to reflect and, and look at what what's the future of your business? I don't know, have you have you had time to do that or have you just been busy head down with client work and coping?
1: We did spend a bit of time at the very beginning, um, thinking about how if we have to change. So one of our core values at Atomic Smash is all around evolution um, and evolving as a company and our whole delivery model and methodology, um, revolves around helping clients to evolve their websites. <clears throat> so as soon as there was a problem, our initial reaction to it was right, well as a business, how could we evolve if we have to to survive this? How can we diversify our offering? Uh, what other avenues could we be looking to pursue revenue? Um, if people are particularly ill and we half the team are off um, with illness, then how could we still operate um, and, and run? so yeah initially we did quite a lot of almost planning and then once we felt a bit more comfortable that it was kind of business as usual then we did revert back into our our typical services and working in in the same kind of way but it was really interesting to start having those conversations with the team and just to start thinking yeah kind of outside the box of what could we do if we if we had to
0: yeah so I'm curious I'm curious about that around um you having evolution as a as a company value because it's not very often it's not very often i hear that and i talk i talk a lot about emergent leadership and emergence and how you know going in going in flow and you don't need to have the best plan in the world for the next three to five years because you'll probably never execute it and yeah and i'm not suggesting we shouldn't plan as well because i'm a big i'm a big um believer that we need both we need to both plan but also we need to flex and evolve and see what emerges and create from that um, how does that work in practice with your clients
1: it, it works it works really well um, in in practice so our clients like it because we are always kind of fresh and we're always um, trying to kind of stay at the kind of cutting edge of design and and technology through kind of evolving or trying new trends or trying new techniques. Um, So it keeps us kind of fresh and it keeps everyone in the team invigorated. And then with clients and delivery, um, technology is always evolving and every single piece of technology has a shelf life. So you do need it's it's essential really for clients to be continually evolving their websites or their technology stacks essentially to to, to just just to survive and just to keep up with how quickly things change mm.
0: yeah it's interesting isn't it because that you know technology is changing so rapidly it's it's shaping the way that we live and work it's shaping the way we do business and And it's, and it's really fascinating that I think when you're at the forefront of the technology, it's very easy to embrace it. Yeah. And it's also really easy to not embrace it. (laughs) Yes. What's your experience of that? Have you got clients who are a bit afraid of the technology or the fast pace of change?
1: So we have, it's really interesting actually. So I was talking earlier to one of our clients, um, and I can't say who they are. They're called the Alpine Garden Society. So they work in, they're an organization, membership organization, and the kind of average age of their typical user is between 50 and 70, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and even they are very geared up for change and they're, they're thinking of new ways to, to do stuff. So before it was all about people going to these fairs and um, events and they would have their take along their plants and they would get them um scored and it would all kind of happen at at an event but now they're having to work out ways to digitize it and so so that the membership organization can continue and that that um community can still thrive but in in a different way Mm. um none of i would say none of i think our clients like to come and work for us because we we push that and we, we have that's kind of one of the first things that we say to clients when we start working with them is um, we, we want to help you to continually better yourselves as, as a digital platform and we want to help you to evolve. So if you kind of just want a, a website that just sits in the background, and you don't really want anything to do it, then we're probably not the right partner for you. Um, and it's the same that we say to our staff when they join us as well, is that we change very regularly. Um, so if you want to work somewhere that it's going to be quite comfortable all the time or you're it's going to be the same. Then again, we're, we're definitely not the right fit. To have so it sounds like,
0: it sounds like you're always pushing boundaries. How, how do you, how do you do that? How does that show up in your, your own business? Not, not necessarily with your clients. How are you, how are you creating change? How do you make sure you're still fresh?
1: That's a really good question. So the easiest way that we do it (laughs) or one of the one of the main ways is through the tools that we use so when you build a website for example um it's not as simple as it used to be where you just used to kind of write html and css and you'd have kind of two or two file two main files that you would work in um now the the way you can build a website can be almost as complicated as you want it to be and there's all these different technology stacks that available for people to use all these different tools. So one way that we kind of push it internally is to encourage staff members to use new tools all the time. Um, it doesn't, I mean, it would make a lot more commercial sense for us if we just built the same website time and time again. Um, and we just kind of had almost like a template that we followed, but we don't, we build everything from scratch every single time. We always want to try new technologies out on different web, on new projects because we know that they're better than the old technologies, even if we only used that old technology maybe six months ago. Um, so we're always using software or tools to better ourselves. And, and a good example of that is um, recently, so our design team now, there's a new design tool that's come out in the last six months um, where they can all work collaboratively um, through the web browser to design at the same time on the same file. Um, right. Whereas before everyone was working independently and then they'd save their files and then they'd merge in all their changes quite manually. Um, whereas now there's a new tool available that means three people can be working on the same file at the same time. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay. So like Google Docs, but cleverer. and yes, developers. basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, collab a more collaborative um, design tool. Yes, it's it's amazing. And I think things like that are just, that's for us what really kind of drives us internally is that appetite for trying new tools, not being afraid to um, try something and it not be very good and and then have to kind of undo what you've done and, and go about using something else. Everyone who seems to work for us has got that thirst for knowledge or just for like tinkering and trying out new stuff.
0: So you must have um, a, a real sense, because what I'm hearing is that trial and error is part of the process for you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, obviously, uh, creativity and innovation comes from trial and error, but so many yeah. companies are afraid of doing that. Yeah. I'm guessing that you've created a culture where it's okay to... Produce something that's absolutely rubbish on first pass, but can be tweaked and tailored. And you know, obviously, you're not going to put rubbish out in front of your clients and and out, you know, out in the world. I'm not suggesting you do that, but part of the process of creativity and innovation is that the first draft. I mean, I know from writing books, the first draft is garbage. Yeah, you know, nobody would want to read.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It really is a layered process. And it's similar for web design and development as, as well. You do need to go through rounds of rounds of um, trial and error before you do get to something that is um, of value or, or you think is going to resonate. And and one way that we've tackled that internally is um, everybody in the company gets a day and a half a month of learning and development time. Right. So we encourage people in that one and a half days to maybe experiment with things that they maybe wouldn't typically use on a project. Um, and then some of those things do then filter into live projects further down the line. Right. Um, and that works, that works really, really well.
0: Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're opening people's minds, aren't you? And you're generating a learning culture where it's okay to learn and it's okay to fail and, and, and because it's okay, it's not that difficult.
1: Yes. Yeah, and, and a safe um almost a safe environment to, to do it as as well. Like like you did say it's a real fine line between um allowing it to kinda of happen on commercial projects. That's why we like to run kind of internal projects or give people this like sandbox time to just just do what they want, really, as long as it's um in line with kind of learning a new technology.
0: So Piers, you sound like a really forward-thinking <laughs> chap to me. Because you know, most most people that I I work with, they don't like failure. It doesn't feel safe, and therefore they're stifling innovation and creativity. What what brought you to think in this way?
1: That's yeah, that's a good question. And, and there's two. I think I've, I've thought about that quite a lot, really. And because um, it has played on my mind in the past. And there's two things, which I think has happened in the past, which have kind of driven me to this, this point. Um, One has been my parents and the inspiration that they've kind of given me. So they, they both have always run their own business and they are antique dealers, which sounds kind of like very old in its way. Um, But they have really evolved over the last kind of 30 years of how they, how they work and what they buy and sell and how they sell it. Like it's totally different now than it was 30 years ago. Um, and if they are doing it the same way, then they would, they wouldn't have a business anymore. So they've embraced things like eBay and Gumtree. And as they've got older, they've started buying and selling smaller things that they don't have to carry around so much anymore. And it's been really kind of, yeah, inspirational to see them evolve, even in an industry that's very old in it's mm-hmm. kind of, um yeah, it's very old in its appearance, but their, their mentality is very much around change, changing. They, they will always be up for doing new stuff and trying different stuff. Um, and then the other thing was the university course that me and David did. So we went to Plymouth university and we studied a course called digital art and technology. And it was right. 2005 until 2009. And it was a sandwich degree. So I did a year in placement. Um, the course was amazing essentially they it was described as a um a smash-up between scientists and artists um and it was a like a computer programming course but also had a lot of art background as well um and, and we were doing things like we were building games in a program called flash which doesn't even exist anymore um we were building like mini programs in C. And we were doing computer programming. We were doing artificial intelligence. We were doing sound modules. We were doing video modules. Um, we were doing the more traditional kind of art modules as as well. And off the back of that, when we when we graduated in 2009, a lot of the technology that we're playing around with in 2005 just had already been superseded. So yeah, we had to learn on that course about how to learn, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. Um, because we knew that, you couldn't just specialize in a bit of software and assume it will be around forever. You need to learn the fundamentals and then apply that to different tools. Um, And it was when the iPhone came out in 2007 and Facebook really took off in kind of 2004, 2005 and Twitter was um, taking off in 2006. So it was like an amazing time to start playing around with different stuff. And all of, all of those different technologies got weaved into our course quite quickly right
0: so so it sounds like your university degree was just playtime but with with um you know an awful lot of rigor behind it so are you would are you more an arts person or more of a scientist or are you the perfect
1: blend of the two I think I do sit quite in the middle yeah I Mm -hmm. I never really found my um I'm not like a pure designer and I'm not a pure developer Um, that's why you're the MD I, that's why I've ended up being the MD, yeah, because I've I've basically done every single different job within the business um, and then always ended up hiring somebody else to do it instead of me, who would be much, much better at it. Um, the area that I did enjoy doing the most was around user experience design and that um, kind of prototyping and building things quite quickly, testing them and then throwing them away if they weren't any good.
0: Right, yeah. Gosh, I mean, I'm just my brain is popping around all over the place because I've got so many questions I want to ask all at once. But I'm, I'm just what, what you're sparking for me is, you know, back in 2005, it was pretty out there to be playing with technology in this way, and and to to continually like drop drop the old technology and pick up the new. And I'm just wondering whether there's something there around how we, how we lead a business and run a business and lead a team as well in terms of that, and you've touched on it already, that need to continually learn and relearn and let go of what is no longer working and embrace something new. And I'm hearing, you know, that's what your parents did. It's, it's what you've done with the technology. Do you think that's the future of how we run businesses?
1: Yes. definitely i I would i would agree with that um i think it's very easy to get incredibly precious about something that you've built or you spent a lot of time um kind of putting together but having the ability to to drop it at the right time or to um go off on a different slightly different tangent is is really powerful um it stops you from being i think kind of too attached to to something that maybe isn't working in the best way.
0: Mm. And I'm just wondering with that, do you ever have, like, you know, pe- people work really hard on something and then they just go, I'm just going to have to drop this because it's not working? Is there that sense of, you know, oh, just despondency that yeah. the thing you've put <laughs> effort into is no longer there?
1: Yes, that does happen quite regularly. And, and also, the other thing that will happen is we'll spend ages with a client and we'll get something kind of basically finished. Um, and we've spent maybe hundreds of hours working on it with them. And then they'll say, oh, okay, on to the next thing now. Um, and actually we're probably not going to use that thing or that thing's got a very short shelf life. Um, so we do, again, it's, I think it's a mentality thing and we, we do kind of get it into our s- staff that every, you can put a lot of effort into something and yes, obviously it would be um, ideal if it did live out there forever, but, Technology just moves so fast that you can't be precious about anything and you do need to um, Just not be afraid to let go and to move on to, to the next thing
0: And how, I mean that requires a level of emotional resilience, doesn't it? How do you pick how do you pick the team up? Continually when that happens Or do they do it themselves?
1: They do it themselves. I think um, they They just know I think because they've all been working in technology for a while now Um they just they just know they kind of know what the the deal is essentially and they they realize that it's part and parcel of working in in tech if you, if you if you don't like it a better job is doing something way more traditional like glass blowing or cabinet making or something that's you can master um you can never really master technology because it changes all the time mm.
0: but in, in a way that's you know technology is driving the way that we live and work isn't it and that and the fact that we've all coped or well, not everybody's coped but the fact that a lot of businesses have carried on through the Covid-19 pandemic is because of the technology that we had um, that was already in existence and I, you know what I'm also hearing is your parents are running what is a, a traditional business in the antique industry and yet there's always the potential to change and innovate and do things and push the boundaries and do things in a different way. Yeah. We just need to be more open to it.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true actually. And I yeah, I agree. Well, I think all the all the best businesses are the ones that are willing to evolve mm-hmm. and change and learn and, and definitely around adopting adopting technology um, and and understanding how technology works as well. We, we work with some companies that are, are good, but they would be even better if they um, put a bit more time into learning how, how technology, how technology works. They rely a little bit too much on external um, kind of contractors or they rely on external consultants to, to drive the technology aspect of their business. Yeah. Um, it it and it makes me think that they are very um, fragile in in that way they're kind of leaving themselves open to to quite a lot of risk
0: mm. so do you think do you think then that everybody needs to have an understanding of technology Because, i mean it's such a vast topic i mean i you know i as as I've said to you before, I used to work for i b m which is a one of the more traditional though it's not because it's it's pushing a lot of the AI agenda and it's seen as traditional but it but it often isn't um but but when I worked for IBM I wasn't technical so I was always somebody that was managing stuff yeah (laughs) but never really and and so I relied on the clever people around me to do the techie stuff and it actually made me a bit lazy and and yet when I since I've left and run my own business I've realized that I was so used to adapting to the latest new bit of technology that we were using that you can stick me in front of pretty much anything and I don't need the manual and I don't need any training on it. I'll just press a few buttons and work out how to use it. And which I also think is quite dangerous (laughs) because I, you know, the support that I have, the tech support that I have often get frustrated with me because if they're not available, you know in the next 5 minutes then i can tinker with stuff that i have no idea what i'm doing with so there's a there's a real balance there isn't there in in terms of how how do you get people like me who are tech savvy enough but not tech savvy enough to actually do it themselves how do you make sure that they you know they know enough to be able to to run a business and, and lead change but without continually getting in the way
1: that's a, that's a good question. I don't know is <laughs> probably my short answer to that one. Um, I think it all just starts with the mentality and business leaders or leaders just want to have to have that desire to to learn all, all the time. Um, I think it's there's nothing worse than when you say to somebody, oh, you've got to learn how to do this and they kind of like recoil at the idea of having to learn something new or if I'm saying something to the team and there's a a bit of resistance about learning something new, I'll definitely always try and um, reiterate how important it it is. I know it's effort, um, but it's so valuable and and so important. So I think maybe having, and I think that's, but I think what you just said as well about, that situation you're in, you've got like just enough knowledge to kind of almost be dangerous, yeah. um, but not enough knowledge to, um to like know everything. I think that's probably not a bad place to, to be because as soon as you, as soon as you're at least interested in technology, you start thinking, Oh, there must be something that does this or, or there must be something that does that out, out there in, in the world already. Um, I think the dangerous mindset to be in is if you don't think there's a better way of doing something, I, I guess kind of like yeah. an analogy would be um, somebody who chops down trees, for example, if they think that the ax is like the best way ever to chop down a tree um, yeah. and they never think outside the box or they've never thought, Oh, maybe there is a better tool for the job. It goes back to having always, oh, there always being a better tool for the job or um, thinking there's always a better tool for the job.
0: Or doing things in a completely different way. You know, it's the yeah. classic um, Henry Ford, you know, and he said uh, what what people needed wasn't more horses to create more horsepower. It was something completely different in the form of a car and yeah and and everybody thought it was crazy, and i think I think that's what that's what the world is creating what What I'm hearing and what I'm feeling as I'm talking to you is the need to continually have a curiosity and a thirst for learning and for looking at things in a different way." because that's where we create our innovation and that's how we make sure we don't get left behind as well. So we can either be at the forefront leading the change or we can get left behind, which is what a lot of traditional corporations have done is, is either they've embraced change or they've got left
1: behind. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And it is hard to, and it is hard. It's really hard to kind of create that culture of, change or a culture that wants to embrace new ideas and new ways of doing things. Um, Especially when people towards the top are maybe a little bit more comfortable um, or a bit more reluctant to to do it. But if you look at any of the really successful businesses out there and the ones which are thriving, they are always the ones who are open to changing their offering or changing how they deliver things.
0: There's a, There's a real level of humility that's required to do that, isn't there? To have the humility, to be curious about, is there a better way of doing it than the one I'm currently doing? And, um, and, yeah. and what can I learn that I don't already know? And how, how do I keep pushing boundaries? I think that requires a lot of humility and flexibility. Yeah. Do you think those are the skills, well, not just even of the future, but do you think those are the skills that every business needs to have now, you know, maybe more than ever?
1: I think I definitely think so yeah and and like you said you don't know what you don't know that's the hardest thing um is you don't yeah you don't know what you don't know so the only way to get around that is through curiosity or through um exploration or going I like to go along to meetups and events where I don't really know a lot about the subject matter but it really just exposes you to different ways of thinking or to um hearing other people's opinions or just just that that interest in in what other people are talking about
0: what brilliant idea well look Piers that has been absolutely fascinating you've blown my mind it's popping around all over the place but um you've certainly given me more curiosity and, and even more thirst for learning than I had before so
1: thank you so much for your time no, no problem. It really has been my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Piers has such a balance between the art and science of using technology for innovation, and he recruits and develops his team in the same way. I'm fascinated by how we blend creativity and logic, left and right brain, to solve some of the world's problems. With technology being a fundamental part of how we live and work, we need to continually be curious about the world we live in and have the humility to recognise when something is not working. How do you balance creativity and logic? Which one might need more attention in your work or in your team? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, helping leaders and teams lead with courage and compassion to accelerate growth in a way that makes a difference in the world. You can find out more at www.judejennison.com and you can find me on all the usual social media channels. Until next week... Keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership.